Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Hey, DB. Hey, Dom. How are you? Great to be back. Doing fantastic. Speaking of being back, we've also got Grant Breck back from a... He was on a previous podcast. Hey, Grant. Hi, Dominic. Hi, DB. Great to be back. Thanks, Enjoyed the last one. It was great. It was a lot of fun, the last one we did. So it's good to have you back in the studio again with us. And for those who uh, didn't listen to the last one, go back and listen to it. (laughs) 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 But if you don't have time and you're already invested in this episode, Grant is a consultant and clinical and organizational psychologist. He's uh, the director of Insight Elite Performance Psychology. And we had Grant on the show last time and this time because he does a lot of work in the sports arena. So works with the Sydney Swans for two decades or something now, Sydney Roosters, racing, golf, all sorts of sports. So it's questions people have all the time are about sports. So we thought we'd get an expert in and there's no bigger expert than Grant. <laughs> Thank you, Dominic. Happy to, <laughs> happy to share. It's uh, it's an intriguing uh, area, but uh, you've got to be in awe of some of these sports people, don't you, with what they achieve and the pressures they're under. And so we can learn a lot from the area. We absolutely can. Yeah, absolutely. And so people often do analogies between sport and organizational leadership, organizational culture. So picking up on that and speaking of leadership in sport, I know DB, you had a story um, around that. Yeah, did. And I thought, Grant, given your work with the Sydney Roosters, and we know that they were premiers this year and won the premiership in a very great grand final display. And I think if you look at the grand final in particular, it gives us great examples of leadership and culture. But particularly at an individual level with Cooper and his broken scapula and what he did, but also at a team level to back themselves and back Cooper, at a coaching level and the belief the coaches had in each other and the coaches had in the players form the role. But then I think more importantly, at a club level for their fans and their members and the whole approach they went to that grand final. So without giving away too much of the secrets, and would you like to talk us through the grand final of 2018. Well, it, I think, as you said, DB, it was amazing. It was amazing uh, for uh, myself and Oliver, another psychologist involved with the uh, the Roosters, to watch it. It was one of the most awe-inspiring games of, uh, of any sport I think I've watched, knowing what was going on to some degree out there and just the way that the team went about it. And I think one of the first things to realise is that what they were able to do and what the Roosters and the team was able to do was something that a culture that had been built up over years, mm. you don't get that, you know, in the last couple of weeks, whoa, Cooper's crook and, and uh, not good and, wow, we've got to do this, guys, we've got to change the game plan this way and then really suddenly believe in it and support each other in doing it. I mean, in what Cooper did when he was out there, but what the rest of the team did in supporting Cooper, the way the teams and the team and the club, uh, the uh, coaches rather, got together to say, we believe we can make this work, even though this guy is pretty seriously injured. We believe we can go out there, change the game plan to some degree, but still really get the result that we want to do. That takes a belief in the culture and in each other and in the, um, if you like, the ability to believe that the guy next to me is going to do what he needs to do. The coaches have worked through this. They believe that this will work in terms of the, the game plan. And that's where we get back to this whole thing around you have to keep a handle on culture 
and way we go about things, what we do together so that the trust builds up and the ability to believe in each other and run the game change and make the transformations that we may need to make as we go and have everybody take on a leadership role when they need to and the others back them and go with them and make the calls on field as well as off field is quite remarkable, but it's built up over time. As we get into that, DB, can you give us a bit of a, for those who didn't watch the final and don't know the Roosters, what was going on there? For those who didn't watch the final, uh, in the game before, in the preliminary final, uh, Cooper was injured and broke his scapular bone, which is the big thick bone at the back of your, your shoulder there. I'm not a medical professional, so I won't go any more, <laughs> more did, You could have fooled me. It sounded like a <laughs> medical diagnosis. <laughs> And everyone knew he was had an injury to his shoulder. And the, there was a lot of scuttle going around the press and the media were having a field day and trying to get drones and helicopters hmm. over training sessions. Will he play? Will he not play? And there were fighters been walking around, picking a ball up one-handed and all sorts of things in the sling. And I think it was at the 11th hour they decided that he would play. And I'm not close enough. I'm clear it's a lot closer than me. But the whole news of the scaffold did not come out until after the game. Ah. And I think the other thing to bear in note, and uh, as we we're just preparing, talking about this episode, talking about the achievement at the multiple levels in the Roosters there, was that their winger, Blake Ferguson, also broke his foot in the game as well. Yeah, right. So despite two pretty significant injuries, the Roosters had a culture as a team to bind together to perform better than the opposition mm. and win on the day. And I think, Grant, if you can expand, because I think you hit on something very subtle, was the grand final goes for 80 minutes, a bit of extra time if you're playing Cowboys and Broncos a couple of years ago, but it goes for 80 minutes. But it wasn't the 80 minutes that created the opportunity. It was actually the culture that was built up over the years beforehand. And they could do what they did because of their culture. Absolutely. Any more to add to that? Well, I think that's the, the really important thing, um, DB. It's a, it's a very good point. And I think that the coaching staff have built that trust up and the team members now amongst themselves have built that trust up in each other and that belief in each other over uh, quite, uh, quite a number of years. I know we spoke about last time, I think we spoke, and I just mentioned, you know, it was 2015-16 when we, the Roosters had a very ordinary year. But it was really interesting at the exit strategies at the end of the year, and I'm not going to oh. tell you what the lad said, but I can tell you the gist of what they said, and that was that we had a great year. And because we learnt a lot, we built a lot, but the most important thing I heard when they were going through their, their exit interviews and chatting to me anyway, was that the coaches believed in us and mm. we believed in the coaches. We knew that we were on the right track, even though we didn't finish terribly high on the ladder, but we're ready to go again next year. And it was fantastic to hear this optimism and to hear this belief in each other that guys, yep, on the scoreboard didn't look too good this year, but we stuck to our guns in building our belief in each other, building the skills that we needed. It was in no way a wasted year. It was a great year in getting ready to go again and show people what the hell we're all about and what we're going to do next year. And that's exactly what happened. But that's because you know, the, uh, the coaches work hard at building the people skills, at showing the individuals that they're interested in them as individuals. If something goes a little wrong, then 
the individuals know that the coaches will uh, will be there for them. And I remember talking to one guy, and once again, I'm not going to mention any names, but talking to one of the players once about, wow, if that's happening, you better go and talk to the senior coach about it. And the player said, I oh, know, I already have. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No, I've, I've talked to the coach about it. And he said, come and have a bit of a yak with you. You might be able to give me a, <laughs> a few <laughs> tips. But they'd already felt comfortable in going and spilling their, oh, mate, this is happening. I'm not really sure about what's going on here. I'm wow. going to try and give it my best, but I'm really struggling with some stuff and wow. felt really supported in that. And that, once again, that comes through building a culture that says, yep, we're big, we're tough around here, but by hell, we look after each other. And when the going gets tough, then we will support each other and we'll build resilience. But resilience every now and then is putting your hand up and saying, I'm struggling, guys. Right. And then the yeah. humanistic encouragingness from others around us comes in and saying, well, what can we do to help you get a solution to this? And that's what you love about culture when it's really great because a constructive culture, as we know, when you've got a lot, lot of this blues, is not about having group hugs, is it? And everything's honky-dory. <laughs> that can be quite passive. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's, about call, it's about being clear. I remember talking to one of the Roosters players probably about four years ago. It was soon after Trent moved in. I guess four years ago when Trent came in. Yeah, so 2013. Was, yeah, when Trent came in. Yeah. God, time flies, doesn't it? I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Join the club. Yeah, the, uh, and we were talking and uh, he said one of the key distinguishing features of Trent was his ability to personally relate to the players. And he felt that Trent understood and he could talk to Trent. And equally, though, Trent was very clear, mm. like very clear about the message, very clear about the direction, very clear about the purpose and what it was to be a leader and a team member in the club. Any more insights on that? Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think that's, um, that is so important. And that's played out through history in great sporting, uh, with great sporting coaches, haven't it? hasn't it? And one of the great coaches of all time, obviously, was John Wooten. With UCLA yeah, basketball, with the basketball, I think what are they? He won uh, ten. They won ten premierships out of twelve. Something. What's in, the in movie? A There's a movie with him in it. Yeah, there is a movie. But what? A, what an amazing. I'll have to Google Dom. You want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> but this guy, this guy didn't start life as a coach. He started life as a teacher. Right. But the respect that he had for guys and the clarity, because I remember reading a story once about him not allowing someone to get on a bus because they were disheveled. They didn't look right for the team. And therefore, oh. they weren't part of the cultural fit that was there. And hey, go away, get yourself done up. Oh. Uh, but you're not getting on the bus. You're not coming to this game. Oh. And so the expectations and the norms around culture were set. And, um, you know, within it, you could, there's millions of bits of behaviors and things you could do and whatever. But there were certain parameters that you didn't step oh. out side of. But I think that's where he earned people's respect in that, once again, he was just um, a decent, respectful fellow as well as a very, very good basketball coach. Mm. But he came from this perspective, I think, too, of being an educator, of being able to mentor and coach others and to get back. And he lived the way himself that he expected his players to live and play. Mm. And he lived that out himself. So it wasn't will do as I say, not as I do, uh -huh. but they actually saw that him living that out. And then he was very, very consistent with it over the many, many years 
that he coached and was part of some of these young men li- young men's lives. And they went on to do all sorts of fantastic things, some of the guys under yeah, his right. tutelage. But it was interesting from a culture perspective because John Wooten always said a lot of that was passed down from his father. Okay. So yeah. once again, the culture in the family, and it was, uh, you know, just passed down and down. But the other important thing, and I think that you mentioned early on, Dom and DB as well, is that we've all got to be prepared to step up into leadership, even if we Mm. don't have it in our Mm. title, Mm. like Cooper did on the field and that we Mm. know that Cooper can do and that you hear about all the time. And we're not privy, obviously, to what goes on in the game plans, et cetera, but you see him stepping up. But then what happened also is that some of the rest of the players protected Cooper when he was out there and they stepped up into those roles Mm. when they may have had to leave leave a bit of their game plan go, I guess, Mm. and then someone has to step into that. Mm. But when you've got this trust in each other and you've got this belief that you can do it that is built up over time because of the achievements that you've achieved through having a a great task-focused culture, we want to get things done well and we really, yep, we're out there to, to do as well as we possibly can, but we really want to stay united and together as a team and affiliative in the manner that we go about each other. And that means taking accountability mm. for what goes on. It, it, it means being committed to the greater good and to the team goals, not just my goal, which we saw play out brilliantly, the commitment to the team goal that played out in that 2018 grand final with those Roosters players was just amazing to watch. And I, I would... Uh, Hesitate, but I'm not going to say it's good as it gets. But <laughs> I love I'm it. sure it they can is. do. I'm sure they can do better. But yeah, right. it was it was just wonderful to see play out because watching it, you knew this wasn't just about a team of stars or mm. star players. Mm. This was culture. You saw culture playing out mm. in front of you, and the performance that it then led to played out in front of your eyes. Yeah, I think, and uh, you saw it at the end of the game. For those who watched the game, uh, Cooper come off at about the 75-minute mark, mm. 77. It was towards the end. Yeah. And uh, he was sitting on the uh, on the sideline, on the seats that are on the sideline. And uh, as Trent went down and he just sat next to him on the bench for the first couple of minutes after the game had finished. So there's the, there's the coach, the leader with the player, the leader. Mm-hmm. Celebrating and enjoying. Yeah. Probably in a bit of pain, I'd take it. <laughs> Probably, but me. Maybe yeah. uh, it was offset by uh, <laughs> what was going on in the game. So we touched on the grand final, which was obviously and build over culture. I spent a bit of time with Oliver, your your colleague and your and your partner in crime, and he talks a lot about the core values and the beliefs, without disclosing too many of their secrets to the core values and beliefs within the within the rooster fraternity. What do I suppose the question is? What do those values and beliefs allow them to do? Well, they allow them, it's a really good question, DB, and they allow them to have a set of signposts, a set of signposts of the way that we need to go about ourselves if we're going to be what we want to be and achieve what we want to be and set a culture in place that when young players or new players come in, and that was Cooper's first year with us as it was Tedesco's first year, and they come into a culture and it took a little while for the game plan to get going by what we saw play out, et cetera. But when you have that culture is, and if you, you need those values, you need those signposts in, place, uh, so, uh, signposts in place so that you can use them as guides. Are we he- still heading towards true north throughout the season or have we uh, deviated a bit? Have we tacked off a bit because something's happened there? 
And then they allow for great conversations around what's going well, what's not going well, what are our strengths here, what's playing out well, what do we need to keep doing, stop doing, and start doing, if you like, simple things around that. But it allows for great opportunity for feedback and feedback from a very structured perspective. So what you're now doing is you're putting yourself back into, as we spoke about, I think, on the last last post uh, podcast I was on, (laughs) (laughs) is that you then, the whole team puts itself back into that performance zone, learning zone, looping. And Mm. you're learning based on really good facts and on your cultural values and beliefs that are there orientated towards how do we get the task done, guys, and how do we set the task the, the bar high so that we had set high benchmarks and all also around, I guess, in the circumplex, the self-actualizing style. How do we keep improving? And we only keep improving if we keep learning, going out, performing, what worked well, what didn't, come uh-huh. in, train those things, learn those things, train well to overcome uh, some of the gaps that might be there, go out and give it our very best shot again, come back in and keep going through that, uh, through that, uh, that cycle. So would it be fair to say that the uh, the values are only going to be any good if we live them, review them, and use them to guide what we do? Absolutely. Otherwise, they're just a set of walls that, that uh, you know, hang on a wall somewhere. And it's re- interesting, isn't it? Because all they then become is an intention, not a behavior. Correct. And what we've got to be careful of in life generally is that what happens is we judge ourselves by our intention, but mm. others judge us by our behavior. Mm. And so I think this is another thing that was alluded to in earlier podcasts, is we've got to live up to the behaviors and those values that we are part of within that team, within that organization, uh, within that division that, that we, uh, we are in, because otherwise they just become uh, good intentions. But that's our responsibility in culture, isn't it? We can't leave that responsibility just up to the coaches. We can't leave it up to the mm. senior leadership team or the managers, or the supervisors, or the team leaders. We each need to take a role in that. And every now and then, we're going to have to get a bit courageous and say, well, I don't agree with that. Or, hey, guys, I think we've left some of those values behind a bit. You know, we, I, we're trying really hard around here, but uh, the going got a bit tough and we started to bicker. A bit of a subculture grew up, you know, the backs were having a bit of a crack at the forwards about not doing the right thing. Let's work out what is going on. And get solution focused again. Let's have this conversation. Let's not let it go underground. Mm. No. And there's so many similarities to the business world as well. It's exactly the same, isn't it? Everyone's got to take responsibility for it. We've got to have those conversations. People have to, leaders have to role model the behaviors they want and they've got to stick to them. Look, they really do, Dominic. And it it comes back to this this thing, uh, I suppose, around having stars in your team is not going to do it. Stars might bring a few more people through the gate. Hmm. They might give you a bit more exposure. But unless those stars become part of the fabric of your culture and become part of the fabric of the way we do things and then become a very useful cog in the system, playing their role, supporting their mates, doing the basics really well, week after week after week after week, they're going to be a very, very limited value. And I think what perhaps some of the general public don't understand and some of the supporters don't understand is that it's not just about having you know great athletes in your team it's mm. what the hell you do with them it's mm. the culture you set up it's the training programs you that you have and that is the training around team development individual development leadership development culture enhancement work that has to happen with a team of highly 
geared and high-performing athletes as much as it does with a group of people who are a team on a production line. Mm. And sometimes you're dealing with more dynamics, in fact, because you know, you, you've, uh, you've got all sorts of uh, egos and all sorts of things feeding into it. Mm. So culture becomes uh, very important. But you know, the more I do of this work, whether it's with sporting teams or with organization, uh, organizations generally, and when you look at the country as a whole, don't you? You look at politics and the whole thing culture and the way we interact and go about ourselves. I mean, that's the fabric of getting it right. If you don't have that right, you can be all over the place very quickly. Uh, There's no doubt that culture has been the word of 2018. Let's hope uh, culture action is the uh, phrase of 2019. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's it, DB, and it is. We were talking this morning about <laughs> mental health in sport, and it was we were talking a lot about awareness. But and awareness is great and it's butte, but it's, it's one of the precursors to then breaking down stigma so that people feel comfortable in putting their, their mm-hmm. hand out. And it's the same with culture. Awareness is important, but you then have to live it out, action it, do it, and then reflect upon it, come back, reflect upon it, test mm. it again, come back, reflect upon it, and keep it going as a strategic plan, as a strategic part of what we, uh, what we do here. You can't do it once. And it's okay. You know, an elite sporting team can't have one or two training sessions and then believe that, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, they're going to be- We're good for the season. <laughs> <laughs> We're great for the season. We're good. We're good. You know, we'll put in a, a real great preseason and that means, yeah, we don't have to do much during the season. It's week in, week out. And you see it with great golfers, don't you? Great golfers don't just go out and play a, a round of golf when they've got a bit of downtime, often during the game or if they finish early, they'll mm. go back out. Onto the practice range. Chip around. And- Chip around. Do some driving. Mm. Do some putting. And it is that, uh, that approach, that continual approach to performance and learning and reviewing that is really quite so important. And uh, that's where, you know, the whole thing around um, the using something like the, uh, the circumplex model in what we do is so important because it gives us, though, that really those really great insights for those conversations that you're talking about, DB. Yeah, it provides the frame on what we find. And uh, I just want to go back a step before we go forward was we started talking about in organizations where they say it's complex to run our organization. It's hard Mm. to run our organization. Mm. It's always the most complex organization. Yeah. And in my experience, uh, some of the sporting clubs uh, without doubt, some of the hardest organizations to run. You've got media, you've mm. got social member expectation, you've got players who can get injured and destroy a whole club very quickly. And you see what happened to the Roosters mm. with their injuries a couple of years ago in the Swans. Fans are probably more demanding than shareholders. And some I imagine res- they want blood if the, <laughs> if the team's not performing. Yeah, and their mem- right. membership's not there. And then metrics. And I think a lot of people don't realize that sporting clubs are tracking more metrics on a daily, weekly, monthly basis than what most organizations are tracking. Any insights? It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, you know, the general public wouldn't understand, well, they'd probably think about probably a quarter to a 10% of the actual metrics that are tracked. And those metrics give you great insights to really look at, as we have talked about in the past, what's going well, keep those strengths going, and what's not working, and allowing you to do that. And if, uh, if you don't have those metrics, then you're really 
often what happens is you fall back on, well, who's the most experienced person? Uh-huh. Who's the, uh, you know, who's the best kick in the team or whatever? And you can get into awful trouble that way because we know that with leadership, leadership is not being the best at what you do in terms of the best player, especially in sport, the best AFL player, the best rugby league player, the best, the best soccer player. What uh, being the great leader is all about is creating a setting for others to be the best that they can be. And we're talking about culture. And culture. that's what really what, uh, what great leadership is all about at the end of the day. And a, a wise man once told me, and um, I'd love to find him again because I'm sure there's more wisdom I could get from him. <laughs> but he said, look, when you know that you're doing pretty well is when you and those around you trust in the process. Yeah. And that's what you see playing out in these great sporting clubs. Sporting clubs that have been successful, have got a good degree of sustainability, who hit their benchmarks that are realistic benchmarks, are those that trust the process and then don't have to go through these rapid periods of change or rebuilding, uh-huh. but they just transform as they go. And it's fantastic because then, Dom, those things that you're talking about, the press, and you know, if it doesn't go right, if you lose one or two good players, it's not a catastrophe. It's not the end of the world. It's a bit of a hiccup. And where you know our mate Jocko might say, <laughs> "Good, good, good. <laughs> so- what what can we learn out of this? <laughs> this will you know help us do better when we get some learnings from this, and it allows others to step up. A, a senior player goes down with an injury, it allows." a younger player to come in and get some experience and build their self-efficacy through getting out there and doing and getting that feedback. And when you have the right processes and the right culture that support the right processes, then what happens is, I think, simply put, is that problems become then motivating challenges. Yeah, opportunities. Opportunities. And that's that's what you want. Totally different mindset. It's a different mindset. And that's when you see energy injection, not energy vampirism Mm. occurring in Mm. teams, clubs, and individuals as a whole. So it's a pretty good segue, Grant. We've talked a lot today about uh, culture and how it takes time to build culture, the importance of leadership at an individual level, the importance of leadership from the coaches and the broader club fraternity. And we've talked about the Roosters on this episode, and we've talked a little bit about the Swans on our previous podcast with you. It would be remiss, being a sporting fanatic as you are, if I let you out of the podcast studio today without asking a question. <laughs> What's coming, David? Yeah, like, it's going to make him run laps or something. What's yeah, um, <laughs> I was an athlete once. I was a bit. So we are in the summer of cricket right now, Grant. Mm. <laughs> oh dear. Any, <laughs> any insights? Well, I think there's talking about culture. DB, there obviously has been a lot of work to do and still is a lot of work to do in the realm of cricket, as there are in other... They're not on their own. No, they're not alone. No, they're there's not. not. And um, that's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing, though, isn't it? it it's, you know, you, you've got a whole range there of young men and young women now, but especially young men, who are being paid enormous amounts of money. Yeah but where there isn't sort of the culture that is needed to be probably as successful as they are capable of being. And uh, when, when you have the right culture and you have the right culture within your board, within the club generally and all the support staff, and then within the playing group, and it's got to be within all three because you can have different uh. subcultures, as we know, grow up within those different areas, 
when you get that right and when you build on that and you need the right leadership to begin that journey and then to uh, help maintain and be the champions of continuing that journey as everybody gets to know what needs to happen, then, uh, you know, it. how successful could the Australian cricket team be if they get it right? If they get the culture right and they put some time and energy and don't look for quick fixes, okay, uh. but do it astutely and do it professionally, which I don't believe they've done along the way, and get some egos out of there and get some common sense and some great processes in place. I uh, There's no doubt in my mind we could go back to being the great cricketing nation that we once uh, once were, but we've got to realise that we're tra- in Australia, we've always been good at sport, haven't we? We've transported a lot of coaches and a lot of leaders to other areas, including England. Correct. And so what we need to do is we need the new breed of leaders in Australia to step up. And in some sports, they've done it. And I'm talking about not just at the playing level, but in throughout the whole organisations. Yeah. And in other, uh, other areas of sport, they haven't and they need to. Yeah, I think that's well said. The challenge is, and it comes back to the fundamental mantra at an organization or an elite sporting clubs, it's allowing people to have the awareness to be the best they can be. And how do we grow and develop these people? And that's probably the challenge that's in front of not only Cricket Australia right now, but a lot of other organizations, sporting or otherwise, in Australia today. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch the Cricket Australia thing because particularly when it's exposed like that, same with the banks and so on, there's a lot of media scrutiny and so on, and it would be easy to go to a quick fix and so on. It would be so tempting, right? So it'd be interesting to see if they have the, the courage, really, to kind of do it properly and, you know, stick to it. Well, look, and uh, John, that's a really good point. And that's exactly what the Swans did in 2003. Uh. And to Paul Ruse and Andrew Ireland, to Richard, who was heading up the board, those guys got together for a plan for the long term. It wasn't just about how we're going to turn this around overnight. They turned it around fairly quickly, but then they've been able to maintain it. Uh. And that's what happened. Now, if we have a look at uh, organizations like Lion, Gordon, Cairns and Bob Barber together uh. going on that journey. They, you know, they did remarkable things, but they've been on a journey using these metrics, leadership and culture now for, what, 20 20 odd years? 20 plus years. 20 plus years. And that's what you need. You need people in these places who see that they want to leave a legacy. And I'm I'm drawn to the old, that quote of Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, when he said, look, when you really believe in something, if you're really there for the greater good. You've got to be prepared to plant the seeds in your lifetime, knowing that you may see no fruit. And basically what he meant by that was if you see things that really need doing for the greater good in the longer term, plant the seeds, put them in good soil, water them. But then, you know, you might pass on or you might go somewhere else. Someone else comes Mm. in and tills those little plants that are there now because Mm. they're really healthy. And then someone else can come in and away they grow but you are building something here for the longer term that will eventually bear an enormous amount of fruit and, you know, allow you then to have a great feast or whatever the <laughs> to right. do with what you've planted. But that's the courage of our conviction, isn't it? And that's when yes. you get these great coaches where you can just see, yep, sure, they want to earn good money and there's something in it for them and they want a bit of kudos, mm. but it's greater than them what they're there for. Mm. And you see that passion come through. and that's when. I think players uh, get drawn to them and that plays out then in, in great clubs 
and then the followership comes along with that in terms of the supporters uh, see that playing out as well. And, you know, just oh, when I look back to some of the early days and what, what some of the coaches have done, and I'm talking about the Sydney Swans now, what some of the wonderful things that were done that the public wouldn't even know about with individuals who were supported when there was nothing in it for the coaches. And it was wonderful because the values around being humanistic and encouraging played out with people who were very, very sick at the time. That's the values, isn't it? And, you know, when I think of what happened, I was in a grand final in the coach's box hugging a guy who was very, very, very ill and had been invited up there by the coach because he was very, very ill. And when I think, I get goosebumps now thinking about it, but that's what this coach was all about. Do you know yep. what I mean? Yep. It was it's all values. Living out the core values. Yeah. yeah it's very good. So you talk about the, uh, the legacy concept. It's why every young Kiwi aspires to be an all black. Mm, absolutely. It's the legacy they're creating. Mm, absolutely. I do aspire to be an all black, so <laughs> I think my plane dead's behind me. <laughs> that was just for you, Dom. If, if they were ever in front. Dominic of New Zealand, eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good one. You've got to throw those in every now and then, uh, Dominic. But uh, it is, uh, it's fantastic isn't it? when, when you see that uh, happening. Well, then it's, a, it's a valid point. We talked about Australian cricket, but we could equally talk about Australian rugby. Yes. Yeah. So, And that work can be done. It, it just needs the right people to get together and to build it and to do it. Yeah. And uh, to bring others with them on that journey. Because once you get... Once you get a cultural journey going, as we know, whether it's in a sporting club or in an organisation, and people see that there's something in it for them, they see that there's something in it for others, that they're producing for other people who are going to benefit from what they're doing, and you get that whole thing around the culture linked to a meaningful pursuit, a meaningful pursuit and that self-actualising, let's get better at what we do, but let's be energised and and understand why we're here for this purpose, then... uh, then you see these wonderful things play out. And you, you see that all the time. In And this is one another thing, I guess, that a lot of supporters probably do realise, but some may not realise, of the wonderful work that some of these young athletes do with kids in hospitals and for benefits. And I've seen that play out remarkably well uh, and wonderfully done at the Sydney Swans, the Sydney Roosters, and also with some of the young jockeys around the place as well, uh-huh. of some of the uh, what they give back is quite phenomenal. And they often do it without expecting anything back themselves. They're not in the papers. There's not cameras around uh, as there are at the games. They're just giving back. That's what they want to do. Because that's what they want to do. And someone gave to them. And it's often coaches, support staff and others around. They realize, but they they just realize they're part of something pretty neat. It's a good way we've gone full circle, right? That's the the power of the individual and the self-efficacy. And then the team. The coaches being the leaders and the partners, the support network, and the broader club in a sporting context. And dare I say, that could parallel straight into an organisation. Yeah, absolutely. We're individuals, we're members of teams, we have leaders who support us, and we're part of a grander organisation. Absolutely. Thanks for your time today, guys. I think we're all out of time, but it was a fantastic uh, discussion. We could talk for hours, We could Tom. probably talk for hours on this. <laughs> we better no. call it while we can. <laughs> it was great to shoot the breeze with you guys again and catch up with it uh, and keep up, keep up the great work you're doing with uh, through Synergistics and stuff with those metrics because we use them, we need them. So make sure you keep uh, 
self-actualizing them and keep them uh, uh, as great signposts for us, guys. Keep working on it. It's a great job you do. Will do. Thanks for coming in, Grant. Yeah, thank you, Grant. Thanks for being part of the podcast series. And Dom, thank you, mate. Another great, great episode today. So well done. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. Thanks for being part of our amazing community. We can only do it together with yourself. So long for now.